need to go to school. And here's your day. What do you think of what's going on right now, mate? These evil little invisible parasites. Satan worshipping Freemason morons. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're not run by factions. Get the fuck out of camera! There are much more powerful international forces in play. Is this pig guy? Is this what pig guy is? I don't fucking know what's happening. Please get outside and look at the moon quickly. It's been crazy, guys, but guess what? It's how it is, mate. Mate, because I want to do it slowly. But I ain't spending any time on it. Welcome to the Conditional Release Program, a podcast that delves into the netherworld of cults, crims and con artists. I'm Jack the Insider, otherwise known as Peter Hoisted, for tax purposes. And I'm Joel Hill, and today we're having a hard but necessary look at the Ballarat Diocese and the Catholic Church. You know where this is leading. Um, look, I know it hasn't been a fun few weeks with the war in the Middle East, and now, you know institutionalized child sex abuse, but we promise that funny, silly, cook or weird shit is going to be in the pipeline at some point in the not-too-distant future, because it can't be grim forever. <laughs> yeah, look, this, there, there are no laughs to be had here. There's no doubt about that. But yeah, uh, there's lots of funny stuff coming from the cookiverse, oh, and, uh, and we'll be on that soon. But That's right. Look, recently, I, I found hard to ignore the, the current and historic news that continues to come out of the Ballarat Diocese and the perpetrators within it and the police that protected them. And every time I see some prick with a Save the Children placard outside a library or a school, it just makes my blood boil. And these idiots have absolutely no idea what absolute torture happened within the walls of these churches, and they couldn't give a toss. That's the thing. Yeah, you know, we had a royal commission, care. didn't hear a peep out of these clowns. Not interested, not interested at all. And that's the thing. Like, while it's fun to pretend you're out saving the kids and play the role of some fucking internet hero, the reality of the situation is far more grim and not nearly as interesting as some bullshit about Tom Hanks and adrenochrome. I mean, you can see why they get wrapped up in this shit. I would love for Tom Hanks to be in this. Unfortunately, he was busy at the time because, you know, it's yeah, just... Yeah, and due to the nature of the content today, it's probably not appropriate to do a beer plug, um, but I reckon Joel's going to do one anyway. You fucking better believe it, mate. This is probably the nicest part of the episode, so let's enjoy the moment while we can, okay? A calming because... moment. A calming moment about beer. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, like, it's nice. I've got one here. It's delicious. Anyway, I got word from the fine folks at CB Co. that the CRP10 promotion code, that is CRP10, Promotion code, which you sort of put at the end when you put your beer in the trolley and all that, that gives you 10% off a discount at cbco.beer. These are delicious tins at 10% off. You cannot beat this shit because it's a really good price. It's now running after October. It's not limited to the month of October. It is running onwards for the not sure future. Foreseeable, yes. For For the the foreseeable, yeah. For the foreseeable future. They said they're going to keep it going. So I got an email on that today. Uh, So you fine folks can continue getting brewery fresh craft beers with 10% off and free shipping. Yes, that's right, free shipping. It's really good. Um, You just won't find a better deal on good, strong, delicious craft beers. So get on it, listeners, mate. It's... It's a perk of being a listener. It really is. All it's a right. good deal. All right, mate. That, enough of your discount code frivolity. It's time yeah. to jump into this week's rabbit hole. So as we mentioned in the introduction, today we're going to take a long, hard look at a pedophile ring. Yeah, it's not a fabricated Save the Children nonsense group, some cure-line conspiracy that renders anyone in power a pedophile, but an actual pedophile ring. Mm -hmm. How it operated and how, when the protests and the claims became too loud, how those pedophiles were simply allowed to walk away to new communities with no one having the faintest idea about the risks they posed. Absolutely. Not only walk away, but almost get rewarded. It's fucking terrible. So Took some cash. This episode's going to really piss you off. Anyway, as we've discussed in the Conditional Release Program previously, groups like QAnon, you know, all these sort of toss bags in the freedom movement actually make it more difficult for law enforcement to investigate and bring real pedophiles to justice. Yeah, look, this QAnon nonsense muddies the investigative orders, provides false accounts that police are duty-bound to investigate and ends up wasting time that could be spent investigating real offences. Absolutely. It's like the Wayfair incident when they're all clogging up the phone line saying, there's Mm. kids in furniture websites. Shut the fuck up because, yeah, they ha- they're duty-bound to investigate it. How fucked up is that, having to go and look into some fanciful nonsense because you obliged to? Anyway, cunts. So it is worth briefly discussing the sort of context in which pedophilia occurs because this is something that is severely lacking in the discourse at the moment, especially after things like the sound of freedom. Ugh, fuck's sake. 
To this day, and in the shadows of a five-year-long Royal Commission into Child Sexual Abuse in, in institutional settings, mm. crime statistics based on convictions give us only a partial insight into where this type of offending takes place. Familial pedophilia occurring within the extended family often goes unreported. Yeah. We learn too from the Royal Commission that a great many offences go unreported in an institutional setting due yeah. more often than not to victim shame and guilt. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the Royal Commission found that in terms of institutional pedophilia, offending when reported could take on average 25 years for men and 23 years for, for women. That's good that we don't have a statute of limitations, right? Uh, yeah, indeed. In fact, they've yeah. all been removed now. I mean, they never really were a thing. The statute of limitations really was affecting civil claims, so those yeah. have all come down. Yeah, okay, good, good. So, look, these reporting delays, they're coming down, which is good, uh, but there remains still a long lag in people feeling sort of brave and, and brave enough to report offences. Feeling perhaps more assured that police are going to act professionally. I yeah, think that's, that's so thing. fair. That is so fair, especially and after what you're about One to of my you. fascinations arose from the book, I wrote with Dennis Ryan, Unholy Trinity, and the book is well known and was examined at the Royal Commission and found to be true, substantially true. The central point mm -hmm. was that a copper, a in this case Detective Dennis Ryan, sought to prosecute a priest, Monsignor John Day, for child sex offences in Mildura, and Dennis lost his job over it. He mm -hmm. resigned rather than accept a transfer back to Melbourne, which was strictly punitive. Yeah, we've talked about this extensively. If you want to know more about it, we do have previous episodes on this. Yeah, that's right. To, despite... Time. Uh, 14 victim statements alleging abuse, uh, Day was never charged. Uh. And that all came to a head in 1972. And I continued to wonder when the collusion between Church and Vic Pohl ended. And it has ended, but when did it end? Okay, so what you did know was that in 1979, Father Michael Glennon was the first priest to be prosecuted in Victoria, despite the overwhelming evidence that there had been a lot of offending going on, like a lot. He was the very first in just the you know, 150 guy. years of criminal history in Victoria. Yeah. Glennon was quickly cast as an outsider. He was abruptly laicized, which is defrocked. That means you can't yeah. be a priest anymore. Which seems and very that, difficult to do. <laughs> and, well, yeah. Some it, of these guys get away with a lot. Yeah, and, and, and they often say, well, unless they want to be low, we can't really do anything. They often Shut sort them. of throw that up. But Bullshit. Glennon was sort of, you know, um, involuntarily laicised. Yeah. And the whole disgrace was sold to the people as the aberrant actions of one priest, you know, sort of one bad apple. But there were many bad apples who went unpunished. Mm. Uh, the second prosecution of a Catholic priest for child sex offending would wait another 14 years. Gerald Ridsdale, now known to be a prolific offender, pleaded guilty, as he always has, yeah. uh, to a range of child sex offences and was formally convicted in June 1993. And that date is really significant because that conviction would let loose a wave of allegations against offending priests in Victoria and across Australia, and everyone knew it was coming, Yeah, specifically okay. the church and the cops. Okay, so now we take you to 1993 where Gerald Ridsdale has just been convicted and the shit is about to hit the fan. So this is a story that Jack's been working on for the best part of seven years. We've got tons of episodes on it. We might even leave some uh, references to those in the show notes. So I'm basically going to sit and listen in because this is a fascinating story of betrayal, betrayal of victims known at the time and betrayal of victims to come in the future as the Ballarat Diocese just basically sought to rinse itself of any and all culpability. It's disgusting. These fuckers. Now, the Royal, the Royal Commission found 4,444. It's Jesus. an unforgettable number. 4,444 people alleged incidents of child sexual abuse relating to 93 Catholic Church authorities between 1980 and 2015. There is a long history that predates this, which takes us into Australia post-World War II. We have little st statistical evidence to show any clerical pedophilia before that. It okay. may well have occurred, but we don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's and fair. as Joel said, in Victoria alone, there was just one priest convicted of child sexual abuse, Glennon, yeah. who we just mentioned, Four just guy. one, in yeah. almost 150 years. And how could this be? And yeah. the answer lies in police corruption as much as Catholic cover-ups. 
But by 1980, sorry, 1993, a very significant date, Ridsdale's first conviction, mm-hmm. that cosy relationship was coming to an end. Good. Ridsdale's first conviction, you know, that's that's the moment. By now, we know Gerald Ridsdale was a prolific offender who, on convictions alone, accounts for more than 70 victims. He is top of the pile in terms of any sexual offences, 70 specific victims. No yep. one comes near him. Although that we may have a new challenger, we do uh, yeah. in in and around uh, in and around uh, Brisbane, Queensland, Gold yeah. Coast, yeah, New South Allegedly, Wales. allegedly, but yeah, allegedly, yes. But Ridsdale, as it stands, is the worst Australia's worst sex offender. Ridsdale is alive today in jail, and we believe in palliative care, and that is intriguing in itself because church authorities are now using the death of an offending priest as a defence. Oh. Church authorities have successfully sought to have. Proceedings permanently stayed due to the death of priests. They have claimed successfully that they can't defend the actions of one of their number if that person is deceased. Ah, well, that is currently being tested now in the High Court with a judgment due almost any day now. Yeah, so it's very, it's good. It's, it's upon, almost upon us. It's going to be hard. If the High Court has to rule in favour of the church, they're not going to enjoy it. Uh, I really hope the law has room to um, to to strike this down. Yeah, look, there are a lot of people, victims, the church, lawyers, watching that one. And believe me, the Ballarat Diocese can't wait for Ridgedar to fall off the perch. Uh, So if the the High Court falls falls the right way, they they, uh, can stop having to pay compensation for anyone who comes forward. Mm -hmm. Uh, But back to 1993. In February, Ridgedar was arrested. He was charged in May. At sentencing, Ridgedar was escorted. Uh, famously, to the court by his Ballarat priestly mate, George Pell, then mm-hmm. Archbishop of Melbourne. Pell offered the court a reference. Of course Ridsdale did. was charged with 30 episodes of child sexual abuse of nine boys, ages Ugh. 12 to 16, between 1974 and 1980. A number of the charges were dropped at court, and the first thing we can see is that what Ridsdale ultimately pleaded guilty to was what I would call lesser offences. I don't want to trivialise the offending, but it was acts of gross indecency, generally speaking, masturbating in front of a child, sexual assaults of a relatively minor level, unwanted touching, etc. But no charges of no charges of penetrative rape. Yeah. And at that time, he was sentenced to a year in prison and served around six months, which just seems just bizarre. That is ridiculous. Knowing what we know now about him. Yeah. And already we could see then that the fix is in. You know, in the course of my investigations, I was contacted by a victim who I won't name. In fact, yep. I can't name. Um, the man told me he and his two brothers, one younger, the other older, had all been molested by Ridsdale. The man, then a 12-year-old boy, had been sodomised by Ridsdale. His older brother suffered the same fate. And the youngest sibling suffered sexual assault at the hands of Ridsdale, but not penetrative rape. Now, the boy's mother was a, a rarity in Western Victoria. She would not be deterred by the power of the church. Yeah. And this is a tough thing to do in a rural setting where the church's authority for practising Catholics is absolute. Yeah. And she rang the cops. In fact, she rang what was then the sex crime squad, and this was 1985, and the detectives came to her home and took statements from her and her three boys. The two eldest boys alleged penetrative rape, the youngest, sexual assault. Yep. Now, the youngest boy's allegations form the basis or part of the first round of convictions for Ridsdale in 1993, yep. but the two eldest boy's statements alleging far more serious offences were lost. lost. And this was confirmed when the victim who contacted me told me that he had contacted Task Force Sano, wondering where, after 30 years, his matter was. Sano confirmed the statements could not be found. Amazing. And... In evidence, statements are a huge thing, and the fact that they're lost is just incredible. So, like, is the implication here, are you saying that someone in VicPol intentionally discarded the statements and basically failed to act on the more serious allegations or accidentally uh, discarded well, the statements. Besides, besides ineptitude, them? besides ineptitude, there doesn't yeah. seem to be any other explanation. That's fucked now, up. Ultimately, my source That's provided another up. statement. His eldest sibling declined, and that formed the basis of Ridsdale's third round of convictions in 2017. Yep. Justice effectively delayed for 30 years. So much damage fellow. in between. And of course, his older brother, who's had a great deal of difficulties going forward, didn't want to proceed. And with Ridsdale's first conviction, there was an attempt to reduce the seriousness of the offending and maybe, just maybe, 
buy a little time for the Ballarat Diocese to get its ducks in a row. By the time the enormity of what had happened in the diocese would become known. Okay, well, let's just say for the listeners, what is a diocese? Ah, yes. Look, it's a good question. A diocese would be known to Anglican and Catholic folk, but no one else. It's a jurisdictional area of the church. Okay. Uh, We look at uh, at maps and we have states and our maps and we have states and nations, but the Catholic Church uses another form, the creation of geographical areas known as dioceses, with each diocese under the control of a bishop. In big cities, it's an archdiocese with an archbishop at the helm. Ah, so that's, yeah, that's like Sydney, yeah. In the case of the Ballarat Diocese, it is a geographical area which takes up almost half of Western Victoria, excluding Melbourne and Geelong and Colac now, and extends from Mildura in the north to Port Ferry in the south. Wow. The other point of interest is that the appointed bishop in a diocese effectively is the CEO of Catholics. Yeah, fair enough. (laughs) In that geographical area. Yeah, okay. A general of the church, if you like. And and while technically they answer to the Vatican, there is little oversight. Buck stops with the bishop. And there are other orders too who run independently of the of, of the diocese and the bishop. They may be Salesians, Christian Brothers, or Maris, and they are self-governed. Okay. They may collaborate with the diocesan bishop, but they have their own administrations. Okay. So this actually makes it very difficult to pursue them as well. But but yes, they have basically what would you call it? They have uh, divested authority across yeah, okay. broad areas. I got a, a sparse org chart. Mm, yeah, so that's how it works. And so when you're a bishop in a diocese, you're a very, very powerful person. Yeah. So one of the Ballarat diocese priests, Gerald, conviction, Gerald Ridsdale, is convicted for the first time. And in the wake of this event in 1993, there would be a flood of claims, accusations, allegations and civil trials, not just against Ridsdale but other offending priests. John Day, we mentioned before in Mildura, there was Father Brian Coffey, Father Bob Claffey and others. Mm-hmm. Ballarat yeah. was one of the hotspots of clerical pedophilia Ridsdale conviction, Ridsdale's conviction threatened to expose all of it. Mm-hmm. And the diocesan bishop was Ronald Austin Mulkerns, a bishop who had shuffled offending priests out of their parishes and onto new ones where families and children had no idea of the risks these clerical pedophiles posed. Yeah, we have talked about Mulkerns before in previous episodes, but let's go on to why Mulkerns didn't act more strongly against his offending priests. What was the reasoning behind basically just Shelving complaints. Uh, Shelving you know, complaints. Why did he move them on. around? Yeah. What? Look, the answer in part is cover-up. Uh, okay. And it was a practice performed by other bishops elsewhere around Australia and, and the world for that matter. And furthermore, the John Day-Dennis Ryan scandal, where Dennis ultimately lost his job, featured the interference of two senior police investigators, one who would go on to become an assistant commissioner with Vic Pohl. And they showed Mulkerns what was expected of him. In that episode, they told him that either Day would be removed, well, that, 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 they, that they insisted that Ridsdale remove Day from the Mildura Parish or he would be charged. Yeah. And Mulkerns then learned what was expected of him, you know. But there are yep. other issues that we will examine later. But by 1993, the Ballarat Diocese had a problem and Ridsdale convicted a welter of civil claims banking up. Mm-hmm. In fact, the cathedral in Melbourne was beset with legal claims and in a famous meeting between then Premier Jeff Kennett and then Archbishop of Melbourne, George Pell, Kennett told Pell, either fix this or I will. Oh, you don't want to fucking hear that. <laughs> well, Pell took that to mean a Royal Commission yeah. and that's what Kennett was effectively saying. Yeah. So, so eager to avoid one, uh, Pell set up the Melbourne Responser totally unsatisfactory compensation scheme for victims, which operated in the Melbourne Archdiocese alone. Later, the Council of Bishops in Australia would establish Towards Healing, a similarly unsatisfactory compo scheme that, like the Melbourne response, uh, capped claimants' payouts at 60,000 and made them clamber through a lot of hoops to establish the veracity of their claims. Mm -hmm. I have seen a Towards Healing, uh, a compensation contract, there's also a non-disclosure causes. So once you sign and receive your cheque, um, technically um, you're not allowed to talk to anybody else about it. Just gagged. Yeah. 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 And so they will sue because they're yeah. assholes. And we've seen they they have absolutely no issue with doing the most abhorrent shit. You think, oh, well, well you're going to sue me? Yeah. <laughs> they, they would. 
They fucking would. But for Mulkerns, it wasn't just the rush of claims for compensation that bothered him. He had in his own on his own turf, still had priests on the books who were dangerously out of control. Mm-hmm. So Mulkerns established what became known as the Special Issues Committee, okay. a group of lay and clerical people. So lay are your non dog uh, dog collar wearing folk yes. and, and clerical people uh, common <clears throat> folk. to examine the priests in the diocese and attempt to weed out the offenders and any priest who may cause embarrassment to the church and to Mulkerns. Mm-hmm. The Special Issues Committee was headed by a serving police officer who at the time held the rank of detective inspector. At or around this time, the detective inspector was announced as the police liaison officer with the Catholic Church. And that announcement was made by the then Victoria Police Chief Commissioner Neil Comrie. There was a retired magistrate and a private detective on the Special Issues Committee. Okay. And the Special Issues Committee started doing some digging. Ultimately, three priests were given their marching orders, Father Stephen Morrissey, Father Peter Colley, and Father Paul David Ryan. Mm-hmm. Now, the Vic Poll liaison officer had an odd role and a number of people I spoke to who had contact with him from the Special Issues Committee were uncertain as to whether this cop was working in his capacity as a senior detective or Vic, for Vic Pohl or whether he was working for the diocese. Okay. And sometimes he'd turn up in police uniform yeah. uh, and, and be conducting matters on behalf of the Special Issues Committee, which... That's fucked up. Very, very blurred, yeah. The lines mm-hmm. were blurred between active uh, policing and work for the church. Now, the first two priests were genuine weirdos, Morrissey was said to be a theatrical type. Oh. There was one, at least a couple of people told me he really belonged in the theatre rather than the priesthood. The theatre. Yes. He, yeah. he was very smart and engaging, okay. but with some very interesting personal habits. Yeah, okay. He befriended a couple in Ballarat and would turn up on their doorstep late on a Saturday night with a bottle of wine under his arm, having officiated a wedding during the day. So he was already half cut. Mm-hmm. On one occasion, he told the couple the only means they had of properly understanding the Holy Trinity was to allow him into their bed. Okay. This time he lay on the bed. Uh, they were sort of unconvinced, but he, he lay on the bed and the wife told me that nothing untoward occurred, but she felt genuinely uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. She told her husband afterwards that she would never allow this to occur again, and the net effect of this was to draw her husband and Morrissey closer together. Okay. It is clear that the husband and Morrissey began a homosexual relationship that okay. effectively ended the marriage. That's cooked. That's unexpected turn. Okay, yeah. cool. When they separated, yeah. Morrissey and the husband took up a house and were known to sleep together in full view of the couple's children. What? Who, who were there, you know, one weekend a fortnight when they were visiting what? their father. It is also known that Morrissey had a sexual relationship with a young man that had started when that man was just 12 years of age. Uh. I've spoken to that man, now living in London, and he confirmed that the relationship with Morrissey had taken place and that, as it stands, amounts to statutory rape. Fuck yeah, it does. Um, I mean, look, did you ever catch up with Stephen Morrissey? Oh, she was hard to find. He was really, really hard to find. But you did? Yeah, it did. Um, and look, just the, the hunt for him was, it's a long and involved story, but I, I'd, I'd hit up a source who'd, who'd had some contact with Morrissey and given me a little bit of information, which was reasonably helpful, okay. but it, I still couldn't find him. And so I rang this guy back and said, a couple of months later and said, is there anything else you can tell me? And he said, oh, yes, um, that's right. He's a celebrant. Mm. And I went, ah, oh, theatrical type. Because if, you, if you're a celebrant, there's a, there's a there's nationwide a register. register of celebrants. Yeah. And there, yep. when I looked online to find a list of celebrants, there was Stephen Morrissey. There you go. With his mobile phone. Uh, oh, and no. I rang him. <laughs> I, I probably should have thought it through a little bit more. Probably should um, have. I was very keen to speak to him, not because I wanted to point a finger at him over the abuse of the young, the young male that well, he befriended, had a relationship yeah. with, be um, but because I wanted to find out just exactly what, uh, what, what had taken place between him and the Special Issues Committee. Yeah, okay. And I told him that. Uh, and I caught him at work at the time. He was running a – I won't go into the details too much, but he, he was running a post office. Oh, this is the post office guy. Yes. <laughs> and so I, I, I rang him up and, and, and I said, about him. Peter Hoisted from the Australian. And, and he said, oh, what can I do for you? Very sort of charming. And I could tell that there were people in front of him probably waiting to be served. And, yeah, that's it. He's and, theatrical. And he was sort of charming. And I said, look – 
I need to talk to you about this. And, and you know, you, you've probably been waiting a long time for this call to come, but mm. here it is. And, 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 uh, and, and, and I want to talk to you specifically about this police officer and I want to talk to you about why you left the Catholic Church in reality. Ooh. And he said, look, I'll think about it. Um, I said, well, don't think too long. I said, I've got your home number now. I've got, your mobile, I've got your mobile number now. And then he hung up and yep. his mobile went right off. Almost, I, I went and checked his mobile phone number about three hours later, gone, just yeah. off. And just off. No, and his yeah, no home response. number, there was just no answer. The thing would just ring out, ring out. And I tried yeah. many, 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 many times. Yeah. And so that was that. Um, the, the pandemic came across us and, and uh, I, I still, I know where he is and I'll find him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and indeed, I've had people confirm his, his presence at, uh, at, at a particular post office. Again, I won't okay. go into the where's and when's, but. Yes. Interesting. He was a very strange human being. Yeah, sounds like it. Um, the Special Issues Committee, which reported to Bishop Mulcairns, recommended Morrissey be removed from the priesthood. The yep. young person who had been sexually assaulted by Morrissey declined to cooperate with the COP and the Special Issues Committee. That's important because the Special Issues Committee and, and the police officer obviously determined, okay, well, we can't charge him. So that needs, that, 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 that needs to be said. Yep. Yep. The next, the next priest, Father Peter Colley, was a very strange man. Okay, um, probably gay, I suspect, yeah. and that's what people tell me, um, uh, who hid his sexuality in the church. Yep, fair enough. He was parish priest in Bungaree, which is a very small town near Ballarat. And while there was no evidence of him offending against children, he was known to get around the presbytery in Bungaree naked. <laughs> and parishioners were advised not to turn up at the presbytery unannounced as there was a strong likelihood that Father Cully would be nude. Well, look, I'm sorry, but as a fellow naturist, I can't take issue with that. <laughs> it's just very unpriestly. In March 1993, several months before Risdale's first conviction, Cully pleaded guilty to one count of sexual assault of an adult male in a public toilet in Mooney Ponds in Melbourne's northeast and one count of escape lawful custody. Trying to do a runner. Yeah. At, at the time of his conviction, Collie listed his address as the presbytery in Warrnambool. He was handed a 12-month good behaviour bond. He continued to serve as a priest in Warrnambool for years after his conviction. Well, so how did that come to an end? What what happened? This is a very funny story, and it involves a, a, a wonderful copper by the name of Colin Ryan in Warrnambool. Uh, okay, we'll nice. We'll talk about him a little bit later, but... I want um, a happy ending. <laughs> uh, yeah, Colin's just a fantastic guy. He just got, you know, just he he would not be, he would not be deterred uh, in yeah. his pursuit of some of these some of these pedophile priests. Good lad. So um, he also told me he said I would never send anything to Melbourne because it would just disappear. Really, um, that's so fucking dark. Yeah, uh, these are child sex offences. Oh my so, god! So Collie was was having was having drinks. I presume at an RSL club in Warrnambool. It wasn't a pub. The story was told to me. Okay, um, wasn't a pub. And one of the one of the group that he just met, he didn't know this, but he was a police officer. And Ooh. so Collie was actually saying, "I hate police. I hate Ooh. the police." Ooh. You know, used to play with a dog collar on, right? I hate the police. And to, one of the guys was a copper, and he pulled him aside and said, "Well, why do you hate police?" And he said, "Look, I don't, I don't really hate police. I hate Colin Ryan, who's pursuing my very good friend, Father Brian Coffey, for pedophilia. That's why yeah. I hate police." So that story came back to Colin Ryan, mm-hmm. and Colin Ryan said, "I'm just going to have a bit of a look at this, Peter Colley, and and look at him. He did, and the convictions popped up, yeah, and that was pretty much the end of Peter Colley. Amazing. Just a drink at the RSL and a bit of a yarn and see yeah, you later. Yeah, you never, you never know. Loose lips and all that sort of stuff. Good. The, the third priest under investigation by uh, the Special Issues Committee was Paul David Ryan, and he may be better known to other to, to, to listeners. And with Ryan, we get a strong sense of a pedophile ring. Yeah. Paul David Carl Ryan was born 12 September 1948 in Melbourne. In his younger years, he spent some time in Adelaide. After working in his late teens, he began training for the priesthood, age 20, at the St. Francis Xavier Seminary in Adelaide, conducted by the Vincentian Fathers. 
He started in 1969. In yep. June 1971, halfway through his third year, the Adelaide Seminary asked Ryan to leave. Interesting. And Ryan was questioned about his expulsion from the Adelaide Seminary uh, in the Royal Commission but equivocated. And a letter confirming his expulsion was presented to the Royal Commission but the language was vague as to why he was expelled. Uh But it became very clear that Paul David Ryan had engaged in sex with other young seminarians as well as young male members of the public. And that's why he was expelled. His career as a priest should have ended there. And Ryan left the seminary and commenced duties as a teacher's aide at St. Joseph's College, Mildura. In fact, Dennis Ryan remembers seeing him there. Didn't know who was at that stage. Yeah. But, but Paul David Ryan was able to convince Bishop Mulkerns to sponsor his return as a seminarian okay. this time in Melbourne's Corpus Christi Seminary. Okay. Fuck that. And during that time and possibly before, Paul David Ryan met and befriended Father Ronald Pickering. Uh, Pickering who was active in the Corpus Christi Seminary, played the role of mentor to Paul David Ryan. Now, Pickering and Mulkerns were seminarians together, and I've spoken to a number of victims of clerical pedophilia in the Ballarat Diocese who maintain that Pickering, who was a prolific offender himself, became aware that Mulkerns was a closeted gay man. Okay. And Mulkerns rise through the ranks of the church was steep. He was consecrated as a bishop, of Ballarat in 1971. I think he title. was ordained in 1958. So it's yeah, okay. a pretty rapid rise. Yeah. Uh, he had been appointed titular bishop in Ballarat two years earlier, essentially to undertake the work of bishop under Bishop James Patrick O'Collins, who was his predecessor as a diocesan bishop, and uh, O'Collins had become old and, inf- and infirm. The victims tell right. me they believe Pickering had evidence of Mulcairn's homosexuality from his days Okay. In the Corpus Christi Seminary, they believe that Pickering blackmailed Mulkerns yep. for, for more than two decades so that he would not act against pedophile priests in the diocese. Fuck, what a coward. Pickering and Paul David Ryan became close. Ryan would often visit Pickering at a presbytery in the Melbourne suburb of Armadale where teenage boys were routinely abused. This went on for years. Uh... Ultimately, Pickering became aware of a victim's report made to police about him and fled the country. He was known to be living in Margate, a seaside town in Kent in southeast England. Mm-hmm. And by the time he left the country, there were 16 separate lines of inquiry for Vic Pohl against Pickering. He died in 2009, but he should have been brought to justice. And yep. for reasons that no sensible person can understand, warrants for Pickering's arrest were not pursued. Yeah. Vic Pohl decided that it would be too expensive to send two coppers to the UK to extradite him back home to face charges. That's fucked up. Just do it. Well, it, it, the, the explanation given to the Royal Commission was that it was going to be too expensive. <laughs> two, two coppers in, you know, economy class seats. It's 30 seconds of fireworks. Three or four days accommodation. Yeah. And that's, that's your expense. It's you know? not a big deal. Oh, plus a, plus a flight home for, for Pickering. Well, yeah. I mean, it's not exactly a fun experience for anyone, but, like, fuck it. Like, you know, it's, it's fine. A bit of overtime. It's look. I'm one of those people who, who believes you know ineptitude will, will always be corruption every time. Right? Yeah, I do agree but with that. Given the Dennis Ryan story and given all of their failures, it sort of just sort of adds to the to the the, the taint of conspiracy about. It sounds like convenient excuse. The, and the money Pickering thing. should have gone down. He was a terrible, terrible human being. Yeah, that's a real but instead, shame. You know, he he. Uh, Died by the seaside. He died, yeah. Died by the seaside. Sounds fucking causes. idyllic. Yeah. To be fair, England does suck. Uh, it's cold and it's windy <laughs> and it's rainy. So there is a punishment Margate in this. Margate is a shithole, to be honest. Yeah. It yeah, sounds yeah. nice, but, you know, maybe maybe we need to clarify that. Oh, it's one know. of those very twee English sort of um, uh, seaside holiday places, yeah. But the seaside's not even nice. It's just cold and windy. Yeah. And, the seaside and of England sucks. Mm. Anyway, during his um, self-imposed exile, Pickering received almost $200,000 from the Archdiocese of Melbourne, above and beyond his priestly pension. They decided to give him a a, a boost, a a salary. That's about 100,000 pounds. And Paul David Ryan visited Pickering in the UK. The word is he didn't bother to tell Mike Kearns he was going and didn't tell him he'd seen Pickering in the UK. Uh Uh-huh. So there was that very, very strong connection. 
Now, yep. Paul David Ryan was a prolific pedophile and an embarrassment to the church from the day of his ordination, probably going back to the seminary. He was ordained on 28 May 1976. Okay. It was believed that he abused a young boy on the night of his ordination. What better way to celebrate? What a piece of shit. Mm. So is Pickering holding a very large secret over Ronald Mulkearns that forced the bishop to take little or no action against clerical pedophiles in Ballarat? It's entirely possible, and it finds even greater substance when we look at the career of Paul David Ryan. Well, yeah. Like, is it possible this is just an excuse that Mulkearns, you know, because it's just like, what a coward. Okay, yeah. It was, well, he, it has, was- he had some of the worst offenders there, and, and really... With, all we know is that he just moves them on, often overseas, and we'll so get to bad. Paul David Ryan's overseas offending as well. He's so but one bad. of the most appalling stories I've ever come across in this whole melange of, of hideousness relates to Peter Watson, a victim of Paul David Ryan's. And Peter Watson committed suicide oh, in his sake. 20s. And about 1991, Peter, then aged 15 or 16, was student was a student at Marion College, a Catholic secondary school in Ararat, situated next door to Father Paul David Ryan's parish house. Until then, Peter had been a normal boy with a quick wit and a love of sport. Mm-hmm. And one day, Ryan, smelling of alcohol, Charming. drove Peter home to the family's farm after the boy had stayed overnight at the parish house. On arriving home, Peter immediately started acting in a disturbed manner and According to his mother, he was never the same after that. Fucking hell. Peter did not tell his parents about Ryan's sexual abuse and his parents were puzzled when his personality suddenly changed. He became a disturbed teenager with low self-esteem. He got into drugs and he abandoned sports. By age 18, he was leading a transient life, was unable to work and tried several times to, to kill himself. Fucking hell. In his late teens, a psychological report on Peter said he spoke about having been sexually abused by a priest. It was only at about age 20 that his mother, Helen Watson, realised that the abuser was Paul David Ryan. Yep. And by then, Peter's life had been badly damaged. Like most church victims, Peter had remained silent about the priestly abuse because he thought it would upset his parents to know about the priest. Furthermore, like many church victims, he felt guilty himself for what the priest had done to him. It's yep. a very common thing, um, yep. victim's guilt. Yeah. In 1997, when Peter was 22, Helen Watson contacted the police officer, who's, police officer who was balancing his work as a police officer with his work for the Special Issues Committee. Watson told the story of her son's abuse to the cop and her fears for his safety. Um, uh, the police officer responded that he would get back to her and never ever did. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Peter was deteriorating. Yeah. Uh, deteriorating. By age 24, he was in a psychiatric unit, but in March 1999, he went missing and his mother never saw him alive again. Oh, fuck's sake. Six years later, police ascertained that Peter had taken his own life. It turned out that in October 1999, a young man had been found hanged in a bathing box on Melbourne's Brighton Beach. They're rather famous little bathing boxes that uh, people can rent. They're almost as expensive as houses. Oh, wow, okay. And he hanged himself in one of those. But the body could not be identified at the time. Well, it, it should have been, but it yeah, wasn't. Yeah, it should have been, yeah. Um, because there was a missing persons report. Exactly. Um, so um, Peter Watson was buried in a pauper's grave. Yeah. And in late 2005, a check of fingerprints revealed that his, this body was missed. It's Helen Watson's son, Peter. I've spoken to Helen. She's a wonderful, wonderful human being. Yeah. Peter's body was exhumed, so his mother would give him a proper funeral, which was held in December 2005. Can you imagine the grief that this woman suffered for six-odd years, not knowing where her son was? And it was complete balls up. Yeah. Helen Watson had to endure this terrible grief for as long as she did because Vic Pohl failed to do basic police work when her son's body was found. Buck a missing persons report, mate. It's not rocket science. Unbelievable. What there were we- two, I know there were two officers disciplined in, re- in relation to that. that yeah. To who, found the, who found the body. And, and when I look at just very briefly, Helen Watson is one of these brave, brave, brave ladies, often, often women in Ballarat who they're often mothers or sometimes teachers and they're just not having it. Right, they're just yeah, not okay. having this bullshit with the church anymore. Yeah. Um, Helen Watson gave evidence at the Royal Commission, told her story there, and uh, 
um, she when when I spoke to her many years later, she many years after the death of her son, she um, she was meticulous about note keeping because she had learned, you know, the first couple of contacts with police. You know, she didn't keep notes. She didn't uh, set down times and dates and things like that. And she was ultimately sort of, um, you know, memory can play tricks on you. So the evidence that she gave to the Royal Commission was um, she was out by a year or two on when she actually made the call to the copper. Wow. Uh, And that was it. And so the copper jumped up and down and threatened to sue the Royal Commission. It was a bold move, you know, to say... (sighs) I don't yeah. think anyone's ever sued a Royal Commission, but uh, he was he was gung ho all to do it, and he received a letter back from the Royal Commission, basically telling him, "Our advice is that you um, that uh, you uh, you get legal representation." <laughs> because uh, we're happened. all SCs. Nothing so. happened about any of this. I mean, the, 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 the Royal Commission just sort of scratched the surface, and then nothing. And really, yeah. it, it, it sort of bothered me. Anyway. Yeah. That's fair. That's, yeah, it's bullshit. In February 2006, two months after Peter's reburial, Mrs. Helen Watson went to see the the Bishop of Ballarat, Bishop Peter Connors. He'd succeeded uh, uh, Mulcairns in 1997. She wanted to tell the church what it had done to her son. And at the time, Helen Watson did not know that the police were investigating Ryan. The diocese knew and it realised that the Ryan cover-up was about to become public. Yeah, Mrs. Watson can neither forgive nor forget. Good. The church, she says, knew that Ryan was a danger when it ordained him in 1976. They yep. absolutely did. How do you celebrate? You know, <clears throat> it's disgusting. Helen Watson said she believes that her son was one of many unknown victims of Paul David Ryan. She yep. said, hopefully Peter's tragedy will encourage other victims of sexual abuse to find the courage to come forward and speak up against pedophile priests and cover-ups by the Catholic Church. Yep. Uh, Ryan, meanwhile, was, was, had been shanghaied across the diocese and further beyond the beyond that realm into okay. the US where he offended okay. all the time. There are warrants outstanding for Ryan for child sexual abuse in the state of Virginia. In 2021, the state of Virginia issued a press release indicating that it intended to seek the extradition of Paul David Ryan. Ooh, that means they had something. Oh, yeah. Um, there, but, so yeah. there have been uh, other similar sort of judicial inquiries um, in various states, um, famously in, in, in Massachusetts. Okay. Uh, and then this one is, is Maryland and Virginia. Yep. Um, and, and it transpired that during one of his sojourns overseas that Mulkern sent him on, he'd offended against two, two, victim, two victims that come forward allegedly. Okay. So this so. is in 2021, right? So it's been about 18 months, two years? So yeah, getting on for two years. Yeah, what's happening? Like, what's what's going on? Is there is there a process here? Like, as you know, surely they're still vying for blood. Well, we've got very very easy to follow, simple rules with um, with the United States in terms of extradition. I thought so it's um, we're, we're not exactly a non extraditing country. I mean, come I, on. I, actually, there had there had been a change of administration from Democrat to Republican, and I wondered whether that was it. But I wrote to. Um, the uh, the media officer for the attorney general uh, in Virginia and said what's happening and I got a pretty much blunt letter back saying we continue to cooperate with the Australian authorities yeah, and the FBI template shit yeah so uh, you reckon it's gone from Democrats who are pushing for this to a Republican administration that's yeah, seeking to brush it on the carpet I, I, I don't want to read too much don't into want to that cast aspersions that's and, fair uh, enough you might I might I might be sort of um, Thinking that maybe that the temperature had gone out of this, yeah, but, um, it could be a bit of a religious um, vibe. No, to it, I don't, I look, I, I look for the life of me, I can't understand why it hasn't happened. And a lot of victims want to see justice done. Yeah, fair. and they want to see it done in the US, where there are going to be long prison terms for Paul David. Right? He's in his seventies now, seventy-five, and that might, that might even be another issue. That it could might be. be saying the Americans might be saying, "Well, what's the point of all this?" What's the point? It's called justice. It's yeah, like you yak on about it all the time. It's like most of your film industry is based on it. For fuck's sake, get your act together. I want to yeah. see the guy die in a filthy Virginian jail surrounded by toothless men who don't like pedos. Just saying. Yeah, look, um, as far as we know, Paul David Ryan remains living and walking 
uh, about the place in Perth. I mean, I okay. think that's where he is. I couldn't be certain about that. Yeah, we do enough. know that he moved there after serving his latest, latest last recent, uh, his most recent pre- uh, prison sentence. Uh, Paul David Ryan has been jailed twice, the first in 2006 and the second in 2019, where he received a 26-month jail term after Ryan pleaded guilty to the indecent assault of a child under the age of 16 in Warrnambool in 1981, okay. the oral sexual penetration of a teenager at a school camp in 1985, and an indecent act with a child under the age of 16 in Ararat in, 1990, in 1992. Okay. 26 months, Joe. After months. Second conviction, by the way. Second conviction. That's 26 um, months. Interesting. I, I don't know the like the charges and what like the you know the circumstances around them penalties and things like that. I'd be interested to read a judgment on that. But what I can say is that if I were a man named say Raymond Hadley, um, I would find this very difficult not to be upset by. Uh, I do tend to have faith in the judiciary. Oral sexual penetration of a teenager. Yeah, man. I mean, twenty six months. Yeah. That's pretty fucked up. And, like, when it comes down to it, what kind of example does this send out to others that mm. you can be caught for one of your, like, one or two of the many offences you do and the worst you're going to get is lose a couple of years? Yeah. That's that. You can afford and, and, that. And this, this, wasn't his, this wasn't his first time standing in front of a... In, in front of a judge. In fact, the first time was a magistrate. We'll, we'll get to the 2006 pitch shortly. But, um, yeah, second... Second round of offences um, and historical stuff, uh, and 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 it, it all arose from Sano Task Force and the Royal Commission's inquiries. Yeah, twenty six months. It seems absolutely too light for it's, me. It's weird. Yeah, I'd love to read the reasonings, but at the same time, when it comes down to it, you've really got to respect victims in these situations. The judiciary sometimes just need a bit of a slap over the head and stop being so. So reluctant to give a punitive sentence and stop thinking that you're yeah. going to somehow rehabilitate this person. No. Some people are just fucked. All right. The Special Issues Committee had provided a report to the bishop on those three priests. It was Mulkern's call on what was to become of them. Okay. He decided that the, the three priests should leave the church's fault. So we've got Collie, we've got Morrissey, we've got Paul David Wright. They weren't laicized or defrocked. But a look at the Catholic Directory, and I actually we'll go to the State Library and, and you can get the Catholic Directory, which is a, sort of a list of priests and where they're located, where a they phone work, book where of their parishes fathers. are. It's actually a very s- slim volume and it's pr- produced annually. And yeah, you yeah. get to, in the case of Stephen Morris, you get, well, there he is, 1995, and then yep. you flip, then you go to the 1996 one, gone. Not there. Yep. Okay. Um, same with Paul David Ryan. Look for his name. Collie was a little bit later. Yeah, okay. Uh, then you look for, look them up, not there. One, on. They're there one year and then they're just gone. Yep. Um, uh, <clears throat> so that's, you know, it's basically these people have gone missing. And I, and I do recall, just as an aside, ringing up, you know, and, and this is five or six years ago, ringing up the lawyers for the diocese and saying, oh, look, I just want some information about, these three priests, when they left the church, and for the reasons for them leaving, and and they and you know what the line was: these are private citizens now. Leave uh-huh. them alone. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Good. Yeah, I can say that Morrissey received a sum of money to leave the priesthood. Okay. So that came from the diocese. Yep. Land title search is shown purchasing a house in Western Victoria in 1996. Similarly, Paul David Ryan bought a house in Ballarat for $40,000 from funds that were given to him as hush money from Mulkerns. Of Collie, the priest bearing conviction for the most unpriestly of charges escaped lawful custody, there was no trace. I mean, he left the church and just disappeared. He seemed like good at doing a runner, so to be fair, (laughs) that's his thing, right? Yeah, that may be his thing. I, I simply can find nothing about him. Do you think he did a runner in the nude? Well, they often change their names. This yeah. is, we'll get to this in a minute. But yeah. Paul David Ryan wasn't happy with his enforced departure and put it on Mulkerns for more money. And this okay. gets back to that whole nexus of blackmail with Pickering and others. Yeah, because of the, the proof of the homosexuality and that sort of stuff. So while we talk about $40,000 home, it was much, much more than that he ended up getting. By the time he left the church, he had racked up almost $200,000 in payments for his post-priest life, including his training as a, wait for it, counsellor. Oh, great. 
Oh, great. Now, his departure from the church was examined by the Royal Commission, who found that the vicar general, that's the the bishop's right-hand man, is is a vicar general, um, and and the bishop's right-hand man, in this case, Bishop Mulkern's right-hand man, was Father Brian Finnegan. Okay. Uh, And Father Brian Finnegan completed a work separation certificate for Paul David Ryan. You might have seen these in your time, Joe. I do remember getting a few, you know, when I leave a place of employment and go on to another one, you get an employment separation certificate. Yeah, okay, yeah. Anyway, uh, and it was really interesting because the church always maintains that its priests are not employees. Yes, that is. And secondly, the certificate confirmed that PDR... Paul David Ryan was an employee, and thus the diocese would be liable for any legal claims associated with him. Ooh. So that's what that—that's what this. That was a really bad thing to do. But <laughs> but but Paul but Paul David Ryan was constantly whinging and whining uh, about not having enough money, and so they gave him this employment separation certificate so he could apply for welfare benefits. For Just go um, and get a job at Bunnings, you fucking lazy bastard. Oh, not a man of his, uh, not a man of his status, Joe. <laughs> Finnegan went on to perjure his ass off in the Royal Commission. I often speak to victims and we whistle in awe that he was allowed to walk away and remains uncharged. He's just straight out lied. It was staggering and outrageous lies. And there was talk there that he was going to go into the box and, and pour a bucket on Mulkerns, on everyone, possibly even Powell. And by the time he got there, he decided he was going to lie his face off instead. Well, um, it's a choice. He, he remains alive, the, um, uh, Brian Finnegan. Disappointingly, um, he so. was. Uh, he was after his period in um, in Ballarat. He was sent off to Brisbane, where he was an adjunct or an associate bishop um, okay. in Brisbane. And uh, in his seventies, he was required to retire. Um, and uh, after his awful, awful pack of lies in the witness box. Hello, Brian, if you're listening. Yeah. Uh, come and sue me anytime you like. Uh, <laughs> allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, no. Uh, and and, uh, and his, um, he, his, he, he gave evidence, I think it was the first week of December, and he was due to re- retire on the 31st of December, but the Vatican brought that forward by whatever, three weeks. So they just basically, he walked out of the witness box and said, okay, that's it, you know, your, your, your days are, un- are numbered. Um, by 1996, Morrissey and, and Paul David Ryan had left the church with money, and in the case of Peter and uh, Paul David Ryan, uh, trained in psychology and counselling. Wow. Morrissey I caught up with, but what happened to Ryan? Well, there are 10 missing years between leaving the church and his arrest in 2006. Some of those years can be at least accounted for. We know Ryan moved to far north Queensland and worked for several years as a government-funded mental health officer for remote Aboriginal communities in Cape York. Okay. It was here he began to refer to himself as Dr. Paul David Ryan on account of his American doctorate in ministry. Oh, wow. That's brave. He also hyphenated his his forename, so he became Paul-David Ryan. The fuck? It sounds like a sausage. Paul-David Ryan. It did remind me a little bit of that when I was writing this earlier today, Joel, but it's it's a means of sort of avoiding any scrutiny. It makes you harder to Google sort of thing. Like, you know, I think this is one of those things about changing your name or doing something like that where it just makes you slightly more difficult to find. Yeah. Look, he was arrested. So he leaves the church in 1996 and he's arrested in Cairns in 2006. Okay. Now, I spoke with his arresting officer. We we, we, we mentioned him before, the, the wonderful, warnable uh, copper Colin Ryan. And Colin has just serious, serious balls. Uh, because he, he, I've never heard of any copper doing this anywhere around the world, but he actually took out a search warrant at the Ballarat Diocese, turned up, bang, bang, bang on the door, police wow. open up. Good. And uh, and terrified everyone inside there. And, and this was, I want, I want, Paul, I want, I want Paul David Ryan's um, uh, 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 HR file, his personnel yeah. file. It's and time. they just they just gave it straight to him. 
and I got on the nose. What I, I, I actually said to Colin, I said, if you had had a good dig around there, there would have been guns and knives, and <laughs> would have been an absolute storehouse of, of contraband. But um, yeah, so uh, he, 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 wonderful copper, Colin, um, he, and, and also the arresting officer. And Colin told me that Paul David Ryan, when he arrested him in Cairns in 2006, was working in a counselling role with Indigenous people with disabilities, Fuck including off. Indigenous youth. Jesus, do you think just just do you think youth with disability? Um, never mind. I'm not going to finish that. Yeah, thought. well, we'll, <gasps> we'll get to. We'll, look, there are no specific reports of his offending in Cape York. Okay, fair and enough. I seriously hope I don't find any. Yeah, I agree. Okay, hundred yeah, percent. But anyone who has even a passing knowledge of Paul David Ryan's modus operandi and his psychology would hold grave fears for any male youth who was unlucky enough to fall in his orbit. Yeah, that sounds about right. We should also note the Indigenous culture of silence in the wake of this type of offending. So it would be very difficult for for people to come forward anyway. Yeah, okay. Fuck. But I seriously hope I don't find any. And and the point is that, because it's not the point. The, the, the point is that Paul David Ryan and Morrissey pose significant risks to the broader community, but the Special Issues Committee, led by a senior police officer, merely determined that there was sufficient evidence to remove him or remove that pair from the Ballarat diocese, but then the diocese unleashed these predators on predators on unsuspecting communities. Yeah. On parents and children. Vulnerable no further police action was taken Jesus. as a result of the Special Issues Committee's inquiries. So they didn't actually say, well, we've found all this stuff, you know, and we're going to act on it within the diocese and the bishop will make a call. Uh-huh. Uh, here, here um, uh, SANO Task Force, or here, what they used to call, uh, I can't remember the, the, the acronym that they used to have for the child, child sex offending unit in Victoria. Yep. Here, here's some information that would be of value to you. No, none of that happened. Yeah. Um, and the diocese was not even, you know, didn't even make an attempt to say this guy's not 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 safe to work with children. Yeah, not even just a little nice, uh, you know, courtesy call. Just say, look, you know, a bit funny with kids. You might want to avoid that. It's just no respect for victims past, present, or future, not to use the term. Well, it's the, term. the future stuff you've got to worry about. You know, well, that, I, mean, I yeah. mean, no one has any idea of the, the sort of risk that someone like Paul David Ryan poses. Even though it's well known and these fucking cowards keep their traps up. It wasn't on us. He wasn't, hadn't been charged until 2006. No one, he, he, he wasn't well He hadn't been well charged, known. but didn't people, weren't people aware of the offending? No. Wow, no. I kept That's that That's why secret. they just very quietly punted him. Now, it was only in 2006 when he was first charged that, that he became a, a, a notorious figure. Okay. All right. Fair what enough. What I would love to do is get my hands on Paul David Ryan's resume and his references that he used to obtain employment as a counsellor, including with youth in Cape York. Mm-hmm. And obviously the counselling service was not keen to discuss. I made some attempts to contact them. They were not keen to discuss his employment because, sadly, they now bear some liability. They won't tell you this, but they now bear some liability yeah. if Paul David Ryan did offend there. Yeah. But the fact is they were duped by the Catholic Church, Bishop Ronald Mulkerns, and the Special Issues Committee, which was led by a senior Vic Pol detective. Who can you trust if you can't trust a senior Vic Pol detective? Now, some, some of our listeners who follow these things fairly closely might know a bit of a blow-up around Broome, the, okay. um, the Diocese of Broome. Okay. Ma- massive, sort of a, a sort of a, a quarter of Western Australia, is uh, is the uh, the diocese of Broome, and the bishop there is is Chris Saunders, or he was. He's now been stood down. Um, he still remains a bishop, but he he's not a diocesan bishop. And I thought Paul David Ryan might have found his way there. I've checked sources, and it appears he hasn't. We do know that Bishop Ronald Mulkerns travelled to Broome for his 80th birthday. I mean, who goes to Broome for their 80th birthday? Yeah, I know. So it's all very suspicious, this connection with Chris Saunders. That's dodgy. And you might just want to tell us what... What's, been, what's sort of been coming out. The Australians been been chasing yeah, this pretty hard. Most media yeah. have. Channel 7 been very, very hard on this as well. Chris Saunders in Brown. So, look, just just 
for 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 the benefit of our listeners, you might just want to explain what has taken place in Broome and whether there's a connection. We certainly know there's a bit of a connection there with Roland Mark Kearns. Yeah. And uh, as I said, check to see if Paul David Ryan had worked there. Again, Indigenous uh, youth, remote communities, those sorts of things. Yeah. And, 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 and struck out. I've got yeah. to be, oh, this is to be just... honest, I have struck out. And and the sources that, are, that have told me this are, are, are very reliable. All right. So this is just a verbatim uh, report. Yep. Former Bishop of Broome, Christopher Saunders, has denied the allegation and has not been charged by Western Australian police but resigned in 2020 after sexual misconduct and bullying claims emerged. The 200-page Vos Estes Lux Mundi investigation, which is a cool string of words, you must admit. Yeah, it's Latin, so it's from the Vatican, Joe. It, it sounds cool, though. Uh, it sounds like some cover-up, cover-up. Uh, the first in Australia identified 67 Aboriginal... Oh, fuck's sake. Identified 67 Aboriginal boys and young men who may have been subjected to sexual assault or grooming by the bishop. Mm. Quote, It has been established through the interview of witnesses and examination of documentary and other evidence that Bishop Christopher Saunders has developed a modus operandi of grooming young Aboriginal men for sex during his time within the Kimberley region, both as a priest and as a bishop, the report says. Mm -hmm. Fuck you. Anyway, sorry, I shouldn't sideline on this sort of stuff. Quote, the bishop has been variously described by witnesses as a sexual predator that seeks to prey upon vulnerable Aboriginal men and boys. During the investigation, four victims of sexual delictual acts were identified. Latin again, yeah. Yeah, so this is just from the report. And I find it very difficult not to be incredibly pissed off and throw my screen against the wall right now, but we're going to keep going. So the report said Saunders groomed vulnerable young Aboriginal males by plying them with alcohol, cash, phones, phone credit, hotels, air and bus travel, and that he spent up to $4,000 a month on alcohol for the youths. And just let me break in there. There's also been in that report, but not covered here, $3 million found in five separate bank accounts. Wow. Where the fuck did you get that from, champ? Mm, well, one of the one of the... One of the one of the lines of inquiry is that he was selling grog at, at hugely inflated prices Cheeky to dry communities. Fucking hell, Catholic Bishop! What a cunt! I just don't. Yeah. Anyway, these people are fucking organised criminals. Disgusting, self indulgent scum. Yeah. The article goes on to say, in a statement, Perth Archbishop Timothy Costello who is president of the Australian Catholic Bishops' Conference, said the allegations against Bishop Saunders were, quote, very serious and deeply distressing, understatement of the century, and it was proper that they were thoroughly investigated. Mm. Quote again, we will respect the enduring confidential nature of this process by not commenting on specific allegations that have been raised. Continuing, he says, in due time, the Holy See will make its determinations. It is hoped that this will not be unduly delayed. Oh, uh-huh. how, how diplomatic of you. Goes on to say, the report was also critical of the West Australia Police investigation into the Bishop's alleged offending and the decision not to press criminal charges due to difficulties in establishing the ages of the victims at the times of the alleged offending. I, I could go on. but Is but, that the but, fucking uh, issue? West Australia Police, in this matter alone, have been just absolutely terrible. There, there have been images found, naked images found in, in, in uh, computers that Saunders used, naked images of, of, of Indigenous boys. That alone yeah. is, a, is a charge, right? It is, absolutely. And, I know this all too well. So this so this this report detailing at least, at least some of uh, Saunders' appalling behaviour that that was all six months ago, Joe. Wow, that's and that fresh. came from the Vatican, and and, and 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 that report has now gone to the Vatican. Or did six months ago, and nothing. Nothing. Saunders remains a bishop, and while his diocesan duties have been removed, and he resigned, he continues on as a general of the Catholic Church. Fuck's sake! Oh, and uh, he was at the St Francis Xavier Seminary with Paul David Ryan. Oh, good. Good. Stunning coincidence, isn't it? There's just coincidences everywhere here. Birds of a feather fuck together. Cunts. You have been listening to the Conditional Release Program with your host, Jack the Insider and Joel Hill. Jack, you found on Twitter at 
on at Jack the Insider. I'm so demoralized. And me, Joel, on at Crunchy Moses with a K. I don't really use Twitter that much anymore, but just jump on there anyway. I might post something at some point. Set up a Facebook page you can find fairly easily. If you just put, you know, conditional release program, shit posting group, there's a really great group of really good people in there. Yes, great stuff in there now. Yeah, it's almost too much to keep up with. It's really, really good. Uh, if you enjoyed the episode, please share it on social media because that, you know, gets the, the numbers up and it helps. And, it, you know, it's just good. I'm so depressed. Um, yeah. We have a Patreon uh, to help keep this sustainable. It, it is time-consuming. You would understand just this story alone. It's taken many, many years to do. Took it's never been created before. It's never been done. It would probably need to be um, um, legal for the Australian. But yeah. at this stage, you know, there's still a few holes. Um, there's still a few bits that we need to confirm. Um, you can see that from the way we've told the story. But we wanted to tell it straight away. And, Fuck and, yeah. You know, this is... Hundreds of hours of research, phone calls, all this sort of stuff. So yeah. if you can help us out through the Patreon, please do. It really does help a lot. Um, look, you know, if you keep the lights on, that really, really does help. Um, just Google Patreon, Conditional Release Program, it comes up. You know, it's pretty basic. Yeah. Look, we aren't going to make a joke about death threats and what have you this week, but we will say that you can get in touch with us at the Conditional Release Program. It's got a the in front of it, the Conditional Release Program at gmail.com. It's quite a mouthful. The whole show, quite frankly, should be rebranded. But um, <laughs> <I'm not changing laughs> to make the it easier name. for you to type in the email address, the you Conditional Release Program at gmail.com. If you want to discuss anything from this episode uh, uh, with us, uh, uh, please please make contact, reach out. But as always, if any of the content has been distressing, you can contact Beyond Blue on 1300 224636. And if you're in crisis, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14. The content this episode has, has, has been, is, is, it's actually distressing, but it's important yeah. to shine light in this terrible chapter in Australian history. And uh, that way we can assure it will never happen again. You do important work, mate. You do really important work, and it's fucking great. I think our listeners really appreciate it as well. And um, we'll be I'm back with something I'm more. I'm glad fun. I've had the chance to tell a story. It's the first time I've told it, and and and, I, and at least now I can I understand where the holes are. Yeah. Uh, you know, as I said, we have no record of of Paul David Ryan offending in Cape York, and believe me, I hope I hope I never find one. I, I hope really it's not do. true. Yeah, absolutely. But look, let's face it, he's got form, right? Yeah. He's just incorrigible bastard. Yeah. Just so a thanks, listeners. Thanks right, for thanks. your patience, and we'll see you next time. Yeah. Thanks, guys. See you next time. We'll be funnier next time and less depressing. <laughs> thanks, mate. Really appreciate it. I don't think I ever want to talk to any of those people. Fuck me, you.